0: Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you are holy and perfect in all your ways. There is none that compares to you in righteousness and justice, in truth and grace, in faithfulness and love. God, you have given generously to us You have given us your image to bear, but we have squandered many of these good gifts. Instead of responding to your love and faithfulness, we choose rebellion against you and your good order. You have given us what we need to live, but we have desired more. Our eyes are lustful, our stomachs are gluttonous, our hands are quick to sin. We have sinned against you and you alone. Father, forgive us for coveting the things this world has to offer, and for giving in to the seduction of self-made power and meaning. Father, this morning we cry out to you that you, would clean, that you would clean us up, that you would make us clean by the blood of your Son, Jesus, that you would renew a right spirit within us that we could dwell in your presence forever. We long to be close to you, and we thank you for the gift of salvation that comes only through Jesus, your Son that he has made a way possible for us to be reconciled to you. And God, we are thankful for your word as it carries instruction for living righteously in this present age, and also because it reveals to us your character. And we are thankful for your Holy Spirit that reminds us of the truth of your word. Use your word preached this morning to remind us of your character. And God, we are thankful also for the other churches here in Salem that faithfully preach the good news of your salvation. We pray for Pastor Justin Green at Salem Heights and for Pastor Matt Porter at Outward Church. May the the gospel grow and root deep in the hearts of those people as they put their faith and their hope in you. We ask that you would grow a community of believers in this city that would be known for our love for each other. We also pray for the members here at Mission. We pray that we would be reminded of your character and love, and we ask that you would grow our faith as we hear your word preached. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say through our brother Nick this morning. Equip him to faithfully deliver your word to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.
1: Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. It really is a a joy to be here with you all to hear from God's word this morning, to hear what the Lord would have for us as he has prepared this text in advance. Uh, This has been on the calendar. So whatever we are going through this week whatever is taking place in our lives, God has already ordained that this text and this passage be what he has for us this morning. We will be in Joshua chapter 7. So if you have your uh, little study guide, go ahead and turn there, or if you use your Bible, or whatever other resources you use, feel free to turn to Joshua chapter 7. If you turn on your TV and go to your favorite streaming service, look for action movies, you will quickly find that as a society, we love a good comeback. Whether it's John Wick, Taken, Die Hard, Rambo, or my personal favorite, Man on Fire, we are infatuated with the vengeance of a hero who has been wronged. There's something that resonates with us, that a warrior who is fighting on their, not on their own behalf, but on on the behalf of somebody who has suffered an injustice, who has been wronged, they have been given a certain set of skills, right, and are able to quickly and efficiently deal with all of the obstacles that stand in their way. And usually there's lots of explosions, not a lot of laughing, right, it's, definitely has a certain genre and niche. The plots are shallow, the the character development poor, and often they are incredibly unbelievable. But boy, do we love watching them. I'm convinced that especially us guys would love to be able to atone for, for all of the wrongs ever done to us and those we love if we could just be one of them, right? If only I could be like John Wick. We watch these movies that Hollywood produces and place ourselves in them, imagining one who would right the wrongs done to us and just kind of create justice in the world. Oh, how easily we forget that we are not the ones who need to go and right the wrongs, but we are the ones who have committed the greatest wrong. And he is the hero then who brings justice. In our text this morning, in Joshua seven, we are. This is not an easy text to read. It is not an easy text to contemplate. No, it it deals with a lot of difficult issues. Issues that we kind of uh, scratch our heads and wonder, how can this actually be true? I really wish this text was more feel good. I wish it was more uh, happy but it's, it's, it, leaves, it will leave us with a heaviness, and that is the intent that God has designed for it. What we will cover today in Joshua 7 stands in direct contrast to what we saw in Joshua, in Joshua chapter 4, where Rahab had faith that saved her. We will see today a, a character who stands in opposition to Rahab. Rahab's faith saved her. However, the story today is one of a lack of faith, one that that condemns even those who have experienced the power of God. For it is God who writes the wrong that is done to him. And he sees all, he knows all, and he is the judge. It is important for us to not lose sight of the purpose of this text. God hates sin. The big idea is this. Unfaithfulness brings disaster on the people of God. Unfaithfulness brings disaster on the people of God. We'll see this uh, first in a covenant broken. And we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. 1 through 9, covenant broken. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the, all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up to attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Cherubim and struck them at the descent. And the heart's of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we have been content." To dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the Lord will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Israel had been saved from their wandering, they had gone through the process of, of God that God had commanded of consecrating themselves of setting themselves apart. And they had already seen the faithfulness of God. The Jordan River had been stopped. Jericho had, been, had fallen. They were at the pinnacle of victory. Right after Jericho fell, the people of God then turned their attention to the next city, Ai. God commanded... Uh, that Jericho and all of its inhabitants and all of the possessions that were there of the city be burned. It was sort of a first fruits offering to God, right? The first city of the land was to be offered to the Lord. It was devoted to Him and it was meant for destruction. But right away, in verse one of this chapter, we, as the reader, are told that Israel did not obey God's command. It literally means and says that they were unfaithful to him. So we have this picture of God's faithfulness and delivering them and the people's unfaithfulness. And while the people are held responsible, it was an individual by the name of Achan who broke rank and disobeyed the command that God has explicitly given to the people. Because of this disobedience, because of one man's sin, the whole nation would suffer. The covenant that God had established with his people was that they were to obey, to obey his every command, to follow his every word. And they failed to do this on account of one of their members. As the story unfolds, we see a similar situation as what happened with Jericho. Israel strategized, right? There was uh, spies that were sent out. They were sent out to scope it out, to say, okay, can we take them? Ai was a much smaller city, and so um, the report was favorable. Only only a few thousand men, only 3,000 men need to go, we've got them, we've got them. And what we see is that they attacked and they were soundly defeated. What we don't see in this text is Joshua consulting God, consulting the the, the leader of God's army. One has to question whether or not this defeat was because he didn't pray and consult with God. That's the question that the readers left. But we are told very clearly that the defeat was on account of the fact that they disobeyed God, that one of them did not follow his commands. God was angry with the the, the entire people because of the sin of one person. And if Joshua had turned to the leader of the army of the Lord, one has to wonder what the outcome would have been. Would it have been different? He didn't. And God's people suffered because one person had hidden sin in their life. Achan had become like a Canaanite. He had hidden the things devoted for destruction and the people of Israel had become like them as well. The language used at the end of verse five, if you look at verse five, is what has been used of the people of Canaan this whole time. Where we even heard Rahab say, the people are are melting and hiding before you and they know what's coming The roles were reversed. The people of Israel's hearts melted like water and they hid. God had entered into a covenant with his people. A covenant is a personal, relational promise between two parties. God and the people had both agreed to be each other's exclusive relationship. The, The processes of celebration, and uh, uh, cleansing had taken place, right? In the previous chapters, we saw them crossing the Jordan, the circumcision, the Passover. They were all part of the process of renewing the covenant that God had given to his people. God had set them apart. You are different. Their old way of life was behind them, and they were to, me, to remain pure by being faithful to the covenant of God. Faithfulness, this this faithfulness is expressed and demonstrated through obedience. It's it's demonstrated by believing God's promises and that he would take care of them. Tyler did a great job highlighting the faith that the nation had last week as they surrounded Jericho. But right here, right, right away in, ch- in chapter seven, we see that faith was short lived. Israel broke faith and sinned. And th- this is a great definition of what sin really is. Sin at its core is a distrust in the faithfulness of God, it puts us in opposition to Him because we believe that we know better and can better care for ourselves than he can. We know what's best, and so we act accordingly. I mean, way back in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve determined, set their hearts to know, know, and believe that they could know better than God. And they sinned by breaking faith in the goodness of God. They were convinced that they knew better that they could care for themselves. This covenant of works with Adam was broken and God punished them and all who would come after them by bringing death into the world. And so all who came after Adam suffered that same punishment, death. That is the punishment for sin. The sin of Achan, one single person In verse 1, caused the collective people of God to be punished. In a sense, the people of Israel were united with Achan in his sin. Instead of the items being burned, it was God's anger that was fiery towards his people. Joshua and and the elders' response was to weep. They they wept and they lamented that this would take place, that this defeat would. Would take place. Look at what they say to God. It's, it's very accusatory. They, they, they blamed God for this misfortune. Joshua is, is accusing God of being the one who is breaking the covenant, right? It's on you, Lord. It's on you. Why would you do this? This is the undoing of faith. This faith that we saw was so strong in chapter 6. From the heights of victory, God delivering the mighty city of Jericho into the hands of defeat at little old Ai. Joshua is questioning the very reality of who God is. Instead of looking at himself or or even at the people who are following him, he presumed that, that this must be God's fault. I mean, after all, we didn't do anything. Now, as the reader, we actually know what happened. We have a, a behind-the-scenes view of that sin that caused this break. Joshua didn't have this, and so he's operating under uh, you know, only what he knows to be true. How, how easy is it to doubt the faithfulness of God, just like Joshua? It is very, very easy. If you are anything like me, You forget the faithfulness of God far more than you would like to admit. I mean, I can be reminded on a Sunday of his provision, of all that he's given me, and on Monday believe that I have to worry about Tuesday. We go through our weeks forgetting that we are commanded to rest. We can quickly forget that he has provided time and time again and believe that I must take care of myself. We easily doubt the covenant faithfulness of God. What does it look like in your life? What does how are you attempting to provide for yourself by doubting the promises of God? When he doesn't follow through, do you look at him and and blame him and question him? I mean, God does right allow bad things to happen. But remember that our sin brings a trouble of its own. We have to hold both in tension. It very well might be that hidden sin in your life or in the life of another is causing trouble to come upon you. As we bring our problems to God and question his goodness, hold in an open hand that, that we might have some responsibility to bear in that. When we lament sin and brokenness, we always must end back trusting in the faithfulness of God. Joshua didn't do that. He had to be reminded of it. And as a reader of the story, I'm wondering, how does God respond? I mean, I know Joshua was wrong. And he was pretty pointed with God. Well, let's look at point number 2 and we see this in verses 10 through 21. Covenant charges "'The Lord said to Joshua, "'Get up! "'Why have you fallen on your face?' "'Israel has sinned. "'They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. "'They have taken some of the devoted things. "'They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. "'Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. "'They turned their back before their enemies "'because they have become devoted to destruction.'" I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Things are devoted; There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe of the Lord shall take by lot, shall come, near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done outrage an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. God's response to Joshua, Get up off the ground. Dust yourself off and go take care of this issue. Why would you accuse me? The reason Israel can't fight, the reason you lost, is because you broke faith in our covenant. Israel has sin in the camp, and the defeat has come because one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. God takes sin seriously. Sin is a deep doubting of his goodness, of his faithfulness. And so that very night, Joshua was commanded. And into the next morning, he begins restoring the holiness of the people, of setting them apart. They were now defiled because of their disobedience. And so in verse 13, God commands them to do this, to go and re-up on their covenant promise. And God gives Joshua this plan, and, and as the people are brought in front of Joshua, somehow God reveals to him the tribe. God reveals the family. God reveals the house that had disobeyed. Now, all of this time, as the finger kept getting closer and closer and closer and closer, Achan could have said, hey eh, it was me, right? I'll save us the trouble I'll own up, I'll fess up, I will uh, take this on myself. But he didn't. He played this out to the very end. Once again, one has to wonder, what if he had stepped forward? Would God have accepted that? Would acting sooner have brought God's grace into his life? It's easy to judge Achan. It's easy to wonder, how could you be so stubborn? I mean, you did it. And it's obviously getting closer and closer and closer and closer to you. I mean, people suffered because of this sin. But his reality is our reality. I mean, who really wants to confess their sin? Who really wants to drag it out into the light and let others see it? we will do our best to conceal it, to wait to the very end before we talk about it. This is not godliness. Sin should be so distasteful to us that as soon as we recognize it in our life, we confess it and we desire to walk in a path of restoration. It should be so ugly and gross to us that we're willing to ask others, let me know it when you see this. Once he was caught, he had nowhere to go. And in verse 20, we see the confession of Achan. He confesses his sin. He does not minimize it. He does not lie about it. And he is clear with the details. And the details match reality. And he, he ended up taking what amounted to a Louis Vuitton coat, five pounds of silver and a, gold, a pound of gold. This seemingly insignificant amount, especially to a man that we find out had property. He had wealth was all it took for God to notice. And God calls for perfection. All of the contents of Jericho were to be burned. And this slight amount brought God's judgment. Sin is not pleasant in the eyes of God, and it takes hold in our lives so quickly. And in verse 21, we see what this progression looks like in the life of Achan, and I think in our lives as well. He saw something that is good in verse 21. He he coveted this good thing that he thought was good. He took it and he hid it. There's truth, right, in the kids' song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. How relevant that is for us. Recognizing the progression of sin is the first step to killing it in our life. Amen. Sin starts with seeing it and being satisfied with dissatisfied with what we have. And, and we, we've got to do something about this because I'm not happy and they're happy or that will make me happy. Sin starts in our hearts and we no longer trust the faithfulness of God to care for us. It doesn't even have to be a physical object. It can be a relationship that we covet, and when it fails to meet what we think it should, we explode in irrational, like, like give me what I want. Or even feelings of worthlessness, right? That's, that hits home for me. Maybe it's that we covet status. We don't want to be known, right, as as. as at the bottom, so I covet something higher. Most of the time, as with Achan, our desires are unreasonable. I mean, this was a, an established man in Israel. He could trace his lineage back to the Exodus, back to Ju- the, even Judah. He had property. We'll see in a little bit. He, he wasn't a, a poor man. So why take this? It didn't make sense. Sin is senseless. It is sneaky and it is deceitful. And it led him to act outrageously, or as verse 15 says, senselessly. It made zero sense, and it was outrageous. And so, Christian, friend, take measures to protect your life from besetting sin, from sins that hamper you day to day, a sin that you, you struggle with and cannot seem to remove. Take drastic measures to remove it from your life. And ultimately, don't do what Aiken did and hide it. Pull it out. Talk about it and ask for help. One great way that is it's not explicit in our text, but I think it's very true, uh, to combat sin is to foster a heart of gratitude. Sin cannot live in a life that is grateful to God for what it has been given. So thank God for the gifts that he has already given you. Sin cannot thrive in a heart that sees that all, all the good that God has already given to it and then take joy in that good. Thanking God for his good gifts is, is life-changing in your own life and in the lives of those around you because they're no longer objects to your happiness, but they're graces from God, a gift. I would encourage you to apply this to your unique situation. No matter what it is that you deal with day in and day out, what sin hampers you, what your Achilles heel is, kill that sin by being grateful. Achan's sin was done in secret. He had hid from the people, and he was responsible to them. But he had had done a good job at hiding it. It was buried in his tent. But God is not easily fooled. God knows all, sees all, and cannot be deceived. Look at, uh, on the screen, Jeremiah 16, verses 17 through 18, about, this is God talking. I see everything they do. They cannot hide from me the things they do. Their sin is not hidden from my eyes. Proverbs 28, 13 is kind of this this heavy, if you hide your sins, you will not succeed. Friend, your sin, the one that only you know about, the one that maybe your spouse doesn't even know about, God sees it. God knows that sin, and judgment is coming. The question is, what will you do with this reality? Achan's sin had affected the people that were around him. We will see that that becomes even more of a reality. Israel had been defeated, and 36 people had died. Because Achan had disobeyed God and sinned. If you are part of this church, your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects the people of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 5, is admonishing the entire church because of the seriousness of sin that was present in the congregation. Let's look at this. Verse 1. It is actually reported there that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven from among you, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Even in the New Testament, God takes sin in the people of God seriously. Very seriously. We could spend weeks talking about 1 Corinthians 5 and its implications in our life and our church, how we should relate to one another. But the point is clear. The people of God are to not be known by their sin. And the church of Corinth was tolerating this sin. It was it was not even hidden. The world was disgusted and would have been disgusted by this sin. And it was affecting the entire congregation. Sin, even in the church, is breaking faith in the God who saves. This is the point of church discipline. Church discipline tells the world and the church that we take sin seriously. That we are different from the world. And that our hope isn't in what we can get and what we have and what we can fight for and pursue and consume. No, our hope is in something more. Our hope, our faith, is in a promise that God has given to us. All right, back in Joshua, when Achan was finally selected, look at Joshua's response in verse 19. I'm going to read this again. Verse 19. My son... Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. I mean, can you imagine your parent walking into your room ready to discipline you and saying, hey, I caught you. Let's thank God for this. I mean, it seems a little backwards, right? Joshua was clear. Your sin being discovered something to give God glory for. Believe it or not, it is a grace and a mercy from God to show us our sin. To hide your sin is to hide from the very presence of God. But when God draws near to you, he reveals to you who you truly are. And it is a grace that he does so. It is a sign that he wants you in relationship with him and you have the gift of being able, to, he's given you the gift of being able to see your sin. This is why fighting sin is an ongoing battle in our life. God continues to graciously show us who we are and we grow in our relationship with him. When sin is found out, this is the perth, first, pa- or first step in the path to restoring a relationship with him. To thank him. Lord, thank you for showing this to me. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, there's a lot of destruction. But thank you. Because you have shown it to me. And so give praise to God when he opens your eyes and shows you the depth of your sin. When your spouse, when your child, when your friend comes to you and says, Hey, I've noticed this thing. Oh, yes. Yes. It is no easy thing to come face to face with your own issues. But remember, God only disciplines those whom he loves. And that is a comfort. Sin demands that we hide it. Like Adam and Eve, right? They hid their sin. Like Achan, he hid his. Sin demands that we give our lives to protecting it. To cover it up, to act as if everything's okay. Achan, when he was finally caught, responded in repentance. But it was too little and it was too late. He had had ample time to repent. And as tribes and families and houses were marched in front of Joshua, he could have turned, but he did not. And God holds the leaders of his people and the leaders of families accountable. And Achan was both a prominent figure in Israel and a leader of his own home. His breaking of the covenant of God would carry consequences. Look at verses 22 through 26. Covenant consequences. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and all his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire, and they stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor. This this section of verses begins with a sense of urgency. The messengers ran to the tent. Right? It was... Let's hurry, let's go. This is, time is of the essence. Sure enough, underneath this tent were all of the items that Achan had taken and had confessed to taking. Sin, though, still brings consequences. Just because repentance happens doesn't mean consequences go away. Tolerating sin in one's own life brings trouble and the trouble with sin is that it is very troubling. It is a personal breaking of the relationship with God. Achan and his entire family and all of his possessions, right? We see that he's a man of stature. He's a man of wealth. They were burned and buried in stones. And the valley, Achor, literally means trouble. Now, this part of the text, I have to admit, is difficult for us to understand. It leaves us with questions. Why, why were his wife and kids punished? Was this okay? How can this take place? Some even hypothesize and believe that Aikens family did know about the treasure that was stolen. I mean, how could they miss six pounds of silver, a really nice Persian coat, and a pound of gold that had just come into the tent? I mean, that, that alone would have been difficult to carry back. Whether they did or they did not, we have to remember that the stories of the Old Testament are describing situations, they're not prescribing how we live today. It is not okay for us to participate in this, right? Throughout church history, the church has believed at certain times that it is okay for them to punish sin in similar ways. But it is clear in the New Testament that this is not okay and it was wrong. What is being described and pictured is that sin and the trouble it brings is passed down from father to children, from generation to generation, from one one person affects everyone else. The covenant consequences that God had laid out in Exodus as the people wandered through the wilderness was that sin brings death. All who come after and are around, death is the consequence. Achan's family, all who was in his house, they were punished for his sin. Sin brings the trouble of God's punishment. The people of Israel experienced that and Achan experienced it to a high degree. Something that is echoing through our entire text this morning, is this idea of household or dwelling. We see in verses 14, twice, and again in 18, 23 and 24. If you want to highlight those, this idea of household or dwelling, twice in 14, 18, 23 and 24. Sin had entered his house. And through his leadership, his family, and failure to lead, his family suffered. They had stepped outside of the blessing of God's covenant. Remember, Achan stands in stark contrast to Rahab, who we saw a few weeks ago. She had led her family in covenant faithfulness of God, and this covenant faithfulness led her to imitating the Passover with a scarlet thread that had been draped out of her window. And in a sense, trusting in God for salvation. Achan has seen that salvation. He's seen the faithfulness of God. He's gone through much in his life to be a part of of the people of God. And yet he did not trust him. This story is meant to remind us that Jesus Christ is salvation for all who are in his house. This is, this is the good news. This is where the story is like, oh, okay, that's the point. I can handle that. Your sin was dealt with on the cross. The judgment of God was satisfied. The sin you and I have hidden, we've covered up, we've attempted to conceal, it can be done away with through Jesus Christ. If we only enter into his righteousness, if we only enter into his house, if we are a part of his people. Our sin is done away with. We have no reason then, Christian, to hide our sin. We have no reason to conceal it because we have nothing to fear. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. The battle of sin rages on, but we can be confident in what he has accomplished. And if we are in him, we are in his salvation. The warning from Achan is that sin has far-reaching consequences. One can be part of the people of God. One can see the power of God. They can profess to know God and still not truly know him, not with their heart. Always be attempting to combat this. Always be pressing against it. Talk about it. Grow in your thankfulness for what God has given you and continually guard the eyes of your heart. Remember, oh, be careful little eyes, what you see. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has not left us alone but has shown us who we are. And Lord, I pray that even today we would respond with a new sense of urgency in dealing with the sin in our life. Lord, may we come to know you better and give praise and glory to you. Amen.